I hope that the Bible passage has been read. It's John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54, and uh, I'd love for you to have that passage open in front of you as we spend a bit of time in this part of God's Word together this morning. And so as we do, let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that you are a gracious God who speaks to us by your spirit and through your word. And so we pray, Father, that this morning you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, eyes to see, and hearts to accept your word to us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith or belief is prevalent in our world. You'll find it wherever you go. Uh, From the crowded cities of India to the sparse plains of Siberia. It's how we're wired. But what is genuine, healthy faith? Faith that God accepts. John's Gospel is concerned that we find true and lasting life. And so, what is faith that leads to life? The Muslim has faith that Muhammad tells us all that we need to know of God. The Jew is waiting for the Messiah, the one who will rescue his people. The the atheist has faith that there is no God and the agnostic has faith that God cannot be known. But what is genuine faith? Healthy faith that leads to life. The issue of faith is at the heart of John's Gospel And it's at the heart of our passage today, John 4, 43 to 54. And at the heart of this first section of John's Gospel is the well-known verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John tells us quite clearly that faith in Jesus is the most important thing in this world. It's the difference between eternal life and eternal death. Genuine, healthy faith that leads to life, faith that God accepts, is faith in Jesus. But what does that faith look like? We'll see today how Jesus treats seemingly good responses as bad responses and we'll see the sort of faith that God requires. So come with me to John chapter 4 and we'll begin by looking at verse 45. John chapter 4 verse 45. When Jesus arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also 
had been there. Wow, what a response. Jesus welcomed in his hometown. It's the classic story, isn't it, of the hometown boy come good. Oh, we love it, don't we? Uh, when one of our own does well and becomes well known. Uh, I remember it when I was growing up in Cooma. Uh, I often heard of people who were from Cooma. Uh, Steve Liebman, that retired host of the Today Show, people were always keen to, uh, to say that he was one of our own. I noticed just the other day driving up the New England Highway, well, not just the other day, before COVID-19, driving up the New England Highway, that uh, Bendemir, there's a sign that says, Bendemir, hometown of Josh Hazelwood, the cricketer. And here, in our passage, the folk from Galilee, well, they couldn't be prouder. Jesus, the teacher, the guy doing all the amazing, cool miracles, He's our boy. He's from our town. And we're told in verse 45 that they welcomed him. Why? Well, John tells us, doesn't he? Because they had seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had also been there. Now, this is great. I mean, I mean, surely there couldn't be a better response. But John tells us here and in the previous verse that all is not as it seems. Did you notice verse 44 tucked away there? Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. The Galileans welcome Jesus. They flock to Jesus and Jesus calls it not honouring him. Treating a good response as a bad response. Of course, what was it that they had seen Jesus do? Or they'd seen him upturn tables in the temple that had become a rowdy farmer's market. They'd seen, or or at least they'd heard, about the the first miracle that John records, the water into wine. They'd been wooed by this Jesus, and after all, he was their boy. And Jesus considers their welcome as not Honouring him. Well, maybe things will improve as we continue on in the passage. Verse 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, He went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. How rude, Jesus. How 
rude. His response to this grieving father seems somewhat abrupt and may catch us a little off guard. Surely rude isn't a term that we'd associate with Jesus. It's not explicit in the text, but the words give the indication that it's more of a, oh, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. Jesus essentially says to this grieving father who's requesting Jesus to heal his son, no. No. Treating seemingly good responses as bad responses. Jesus might seem abrupt, but if belief in him is the difference between eternal life and eternal perishing, then John's concern, Jesus' concern, is that we understand what kind of faith is required. Uh, You might remember that at the end of John's Gospel, he tells us his reason for writing his account. It's in John chapter 20, after the resurrection, and John writes, these signs, that is the resurrection and all the other signs he's recorded, are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. The way that John has put together his account has everything to do with his reason for writing. He's written his account in three sections, and each section has to do with his reason for writing. And so the first section is bookended by the first two signs, the water into wine and the sign that we'll look at today. And this section deals with belief, so that you might believe. And John's been helping us to see what genuine faith looks like. You see, we meet Nicodemus, who is squeaky clean. Indeed, in many ways, he's humanity's best example. He's the kind of neighbour you'd love to have. His manners are impeccable and he'd put your bins out for you whenever you're away. He dresses neatly. And oh, did I mention that he's religious, so religious. And he's a Jew. Surely, If there's anyone who's going to have genuine faith, then it's old Nick. And yet we discover that Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, you've made a mess of your life. You've got to start again. And then we're introduced to the Samaritan woman. And surely if there's there's anyone who's, who's not going to make the cut, then it's this woman. I mean, she's not even a Jew, and her life has been wild. She's had five husbands, and the bloke she's living with now isn't her husband. And yet, at the end of these two case studies, as it were, we don't know where Nicodemus is up to, but we know that the Samaritan woman 
has taken up Jesus' offer of the water of life. You see, our section, which ends with our passage today, is all about the belief part of John's reason for writing. Now, I'm sorry to have left the poor royal official hanging in our story, but, but faith in Jesus is crucial. And John is at pains to show us, by the way he's put together his account, what kind of faith God accepts. This royal official in our passage, he's come a considerable distance. Capernaum is over on the coast and it would have taken this official a day to get to Cana. He's left his son in Capernaum and at death's door. Why has he come to Jesus? Well, he's come for the very same reason that the crowds welcomed Jesus. This official, he's he's heard about Jesus' miracles. He's heard how this man, Jesus, has power. But will he go beyond that? Will he go beyond that? Or will his faith purely stop at sign faith? Verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Having been met with a rather abrupt reply from Jesus the first time round, in verse 48 the royal official persists. And in verse 49, he asks Jesus a second time whether he will come to heal his boy. And again, Jesus, in a sense, says, no. No, I won't come to heal your boy because I don't need to come. Notice that Jesus heals the boy, by his word. And the royal official, notice verse 50, takes Jesus at his word. This is what faith that leads to life looks like. It's faith that sees beyond the miracles to who Jesus is and trusts his word. The royal official trusts Jesus even without seeing the miracle. 
John is contrasting sign belief with word belief. Remember back to the first sign, the first miracle of water into wine. And then Jesus clearing out the temple in Jerusalem. John tells us at the end of chapter 2, Now while Jesus was at, in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. Many of the folk we read about in John's Gospel have sign faith. They believe Jesus' miracles and they, they know that he performs them. But that isn't enough for them to move from perishing to eternal life. John shows us that belief that leads to life is belief that takes Jesus at his word. Which is far harder, isn't it? We love miracles. We love a wonder worker. But we don't much like losing control of our lives and listening to someone else, especially someone like Jesus who can make us more than a little bit uncomfortable. Faith that leads to life means Jesus being the boss of my life and heeding what he says. Who's in charge of my life? Who's in charge of your life? Are we taking Jesus at his word? Of course, the degree to which we trust someone, the degree to which we take someone at their word is the degree to which we trust them. And is Jesus trustworthy? Look at the royal official and his son, verse 50. You may go. Your son will live. And he's healed at that very moment. Jesus is entirely trustworthy. Trust in him means life. Jesus requires trust in his word, not a trust that stays with the miracles and doesn't move beyond them. I mean, how ridiculous would it be if you were driving down the road and there was a big danger ahead sign and and you got chatting to your mate saying gee that is a nice sign i mean look how beautiful that spray paint is and and the way that they've they've crafted those those letters and and the shape of that sign it's it's just a it's a beautiful sign imagine you got caught up in the sign itself and you kept on driving, not seeing to beyond, to what the sign points to. It's exactly the same with Jesus and the signs that he performs. You see, I wonder whether you have friends 
who say, I'll believe when I see a miracle. Or maybe you've even said it yourself. Or maybe you've thought, if only there were more miracles around, then people would believe. Because surely, seeing is believing. No, for people to find life. For people to find life that leads them from eternal death and judgment doesn't require more signs and wonders. It requires trust in Jesus and taking him at his word. It requires reckoning with his word. And so can I ask you, how's your faith in Jesus going? I'm not asking you how much you know, nor even how steady you feel in your faith, nor even how much faith you have. But are you seeking for Jesus to take control of your life? Does your trust go beyond the miracles to trusting him and taking him at his word? It's because of the requirement of trust that takes Jesus at his word that means that you've partnered with CMS to send Andrew and Margie Newman to Uganda. Because for people to have faith that saves, God's people must be committed to sending and going to the nations with the good news of Jesus. Your neighbours in Imperel, your neighbours in North Kigezi, in Rome, in Argentina, in Delhi, they don't need God's people, the church, to do great signs and wonders and miracles. This world needs the church to take Jesus and his good news to the world. Why? Well, as we read on in John's Gospel, the Apostle Peter tells us why. He responds to Jesus with these words, Lord, where else have we to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Uh, We thank you that you sent him to live the life that we could not and to die for us in our place, the death that we deserve. Father, we thank you that faith in him leads to life and we pray that that faith would be ours and that that would be a faith that we would long to share with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.